in the presence of God. I think I've gotten the tears out for now. Man, I was a mess when you guys were coming in. If you came late, you missed it, man. God's glory was moving here in a powerful way. I'm Joe Wyrostic, your friendly neighborhood pastor. My wife and six beautiful kids are over here. But you are in for a treat today, men and women of God. Thank you so much for coming, saints. We love you. We honor you. And I don't want to delay this, but would you open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Those who did come on time, thank you. And what you noticed was that my spiritual father, my pastor, since I was 19 years old, that is 28 years, I am 47 years old now, hallelujah, amen, is in the house, Brother Anthony Freeman, who I'll be introducing in just a few moments. And during the mission talk that we, uh, or during the offering talk, when you saw the missionary board, he has brought his team, Compassion Corps International, and they'll be sharing uh, a little bit about what they're doing in a few moments. But I want you to see 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In our culture, we do not honor pastors like we used to. And yes, there's a lot of reasons not to. I get it. Even in a city like Chicago, we've seen the failings of pastors committing adultery, stealing from the church, and these things are not good. But brothers and sisters, there are faithful men and women of God around us. And so this is what I want to share with you. That when you see good people in your life, take advantage of that and receive from them the knowledge and wisdom that they have. We as husbands and fathers, we try to do this with our wives and kids, but men, who's doing that with us? See, men need other men to look up to. My wife and I have always tried to lead the example by marriages and, and in our marriage to other marriages. But sometimes people get a little sassy with us and they say, well, Joe, I don't like this about your marriage. I don't like this thing. And you know what I come to find out? They get divorced in about five years. I'm being honest with you. I was at the gym the other day, and I was in the hot tub, and I was having some fun with some guys from the church because they were lifting weights, and they wanted to see if pastor could keep up. I won four out of the five, by the way. Just got to boast a little bit. Half kid, but telling the truth. So we were seeing how much we could push and do stuff. Anyways, uh, we were in the hot tub, and a gentleman was there named uh, Muhammad, and we began to speak with him, and come to find out he is on his fourth marriage. And he is as old as me, 47 years old. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what car he drove there that day. How many know a man that's on his fourth marriage has a broken heart and has been through pain in life? One divorce can bring you to your knees and almost make you want to end it all. Let's be honest. Men and women who have been through it, they say sometimes it's the most emotional pain that they can bear. And here you have people in our world that have gone through it three and four times. Brothers and sisters, when I first learned about godly marriage, it was at this man's table. When I was in Bible college at 19 years old, being invited over to see his family, at that time, Josiah was just a young, wee little lad, not even a year old. Just uh, Josiah, would you come up here real quick? This is his youngest son. He has four boys. All of them are in ministry. Come on, young man. Do you love Jesus? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come on. Let me just ask you this, because I said I was going to get back to you in the, uh, the first service, but I went to weeping and crying before you know, I could even get the mic back. What would you say to the kids here that are growing up in Christian homes? Because a lot of times we hear the testimonies of the ones who didn't grow up in Christian homes. But I want you to speak to, like, my kids there being homeschooled and other Christian families here. What would you say was a reason why you stuck with Jesus, even though you saw all your friends doing wild stuff out there? Yeah, um, I, could, I could talk about that for a long time. But to, to keep that, keep that yeah, short, um, obviously... It's the same thing with leaders, yes. right? You see a leader who's faithful and you follow him, right? You have Moses and Aaron. And the faithfulness of my father and y'all's parents as well is really, really 
I would say the only reason that propelled me forward in the path uh, that, that he has set before me, because he, he, he went through it. Pastor Anthony does not come from a stable home, but God changed his life, changed uh, my mom's life, saved them first, and God's faithfulness to them is by giving me that security. And I, and I, I have been saved. I don't remember, actually, when I first said the prayer, because I was born into it, but all my brothers have stayed on the path and to serve the Lord with all of our hearts, all of mine and strength. And it's because their faithfulness first, right, bless them and it passes on from them to their children. So I could say that I'm his blessing. That sounds a little prideful, but it's, it's true because, because his faithfulness passes on to us. Amen. Thank yeah. you for that man of God. Come on. Love you. You know what he did for fun? He took a trip to Vietnam by himself. Yeah, for fun. So that's what you do when your dad's a missionary-minded person. For fun, you just travel to another country and backpack and sleep in the villages. That's what he did for fun. I love that kind of life. So talk to him if you want to learn more about that. At 19 years old, I went from Fort Wayne, Indiana to New Orleans to join a Bible college known at that time as School of Urban Missions. That Bible college was only a few years old, working out of an old office facility that was being turned into dorms. At that time, my father drove me down there. We didn't know one person in New Orleans, and we didn't know anybody in the Bible college. We just knew God had called me there. He had prayed about it with me. We heard good things about it, and we went there by faith. And the man who met me at the door was this man right here, Anthony Freeman. Much thinner with a lot less gray hair. Same thing with me, thinner and less gray hair. But we have been together since then for 28 years. I have watched him preach on the streets. I've watched him minister to the homeless. I've watched him preach in the most sophisticated of settings. Uh, in the class setting, he would bring binders for the notes that he would have for us that day. I'm not talking a couple pieces of paper. I'm talking about those binders, and he would go through them page by page. Scholar and a gentleman, his son now has a Ph.D., his oldest. All of his children, Bible college trained in ministry one way or another, as you just met his youngest, Josiah. The first time I saw a homeschool family was a few weeks later as he invited me to his home around his dinner table. I got to see these children interact with each other. All I knew, even as a new Christian, was public school or maybe a private school. And so I learned at that time how important it was to have your children and your family in order. And I know not everybody can homeschool, nor should you. Trust me, some of y'all need to send your kids to school, okay? I've, I've watched you try to explain stuff that's a wee bit complicated. <laughs> Let's leave algebra to the experts, okay? Uh, half kid there, right? But give it a shot if you want to and you're called to. But we are not one of those churches that force everybody to do it. Sometimes we're like, no, send your kids to school, please. You know, uh, half kid. But, but here's the thing. When I sat around that table, I saw children that respected their mom and dad and that worked from the family environment. And because they were in that family environment, they were raised with different kinds of morals and integrity than I had ever seen. And that's where God told me that I want you to homeschool, Joe. That your uh, kids will not have to hear what it's like with kids cussing on the playground or fights happening out there. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Even those of us who might have did our best in school, you still had to endure all of that. And so if you've seen something good in my life about Bible education, it started at this man's, uh, in his classes, sitting in, in his classes. If you've seen marriage and, and homeschooling, that was because I learned that from this brother right here. And if you've seen me preaching on the streets as well as preaching behind the pulpit, I saw that in this man's life. Now, you might think to yourself, well, pastor, I don't have a brother, Anthony. I just joined this church, or I'm a little bit older than some of you guys. You guys are younger than me. Brothers and sisters, notice what it says. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You're not too old to start following somebody's example. Can I hear an amen? 
It doesn't matter what age you're at. Remember, some of the disciples were older than Jesus in the natural. Jesus had predated his physical body in the incarnation. Remember that. But in the natural, he's a 33-year-old man. But followers are 40s and 50 years old. Don't you think they need to listen to Jesus? And so even for my older folks here today, please find someone you can look up to to get your marriage in order, get your family in order, to read your Bible and to pray. And then just to summarize this, what you walked into in the first service at the end there was he was telling the story about Aaron bringing forth the cure during the time of the curse. And during that service, he said that we'll stand sometimes between the living and the dead. And it just broke my heart for understanding how many people are suffering in our world and we need to go out there and bring the cure. And I fell to my knees even before he was done and started weeping at the altar. And I don't know if that's going to happen in this service, but I know God has something special. I just want you to understand that. And the reason why I think his message to me went so deep, and I hope it goes into your life today, because I don't know what stories he'll bring out. I'm sure he'll talk about Alaska. He may talk about New Orleans. He may talk about just all of these different places he's been, maybe the $50 in the shoe. Was it 50 or 20 Because I sometimes say it was a 50 Okay. He has so many stories, but here's what I want you to understand, brothers and sisters. This man has lived the faith. He has lived the faith. And the first five minutes of his last message in our first service, impromptu by the Holy Spirit, was talking about marriages. And I looked, and there was Lauren, and there was Jerry, and there was Lauda all sitting next to me. And I said, you think it's any coincidence that the first five minutes, this man stands up here, he starts talking about marriages when I'm praying for about five to ten marriages in this place right now. This man has a marriage of almost 50 years, serving God for almost 50 years, working with some of the the, the richest people. He helped start a Bible college, both in New Orleans and in uh, Oakland, which is right outside of Silicon Valley, working with some of those fruits, nuts, and flakes. Can I hear an amen for needing Jesus in California? Are you all getting quiet right here? You're like, just be nice to them, Pastor. Now, they know I love them. But I've been out there and preached to them, and they think they're so highfalutin because they can wear chanclas and make $10 million in one day. But they need Jesus too. And so here's just, I'm just prepping you for this. Whatever the brother brings today, it's going to be tested by the word. But I pray you receive because before you leave, I want you to be prayed for today. When you think about back in the day, about how they would wait for the man of God to pass by even so a shadow could be upon them, that's the kind of situation we're in. I am sorry that the popes have abused that because that's what they think they're doing now. They think they're like them, but the pope knows about as much about God as I know about particle physics, and that's not much. Are you listening to me, brothers and sisters? To the pope, we say, nope, that is not our example in the church today. A funny hat dressing up like mother, and we call him father. The frills and the chills and the bells and the smells do not work when you deal with real demons. Are you listening, brothers and sisters? I'm talking about today, don't leave out of here till you receive it a, a blessing, hands laid on you from a true living apostle. What do I mean by that? A person who has planted churches, a person who has had signs, wonders, and miracles follow their ministry, a person whose marriage matches it, a person whose children are serving the Lord. Does anybody want to see that replicated in their life? Come on. Tag your it. That's what laying on hands is, by the way. Tag your it. That's all it means. Sometimes people want to sell you the blessing and they want to make it weird and push you down. That's not what it's meant for. What laying on of hands meant in the biblical culture is how we would say, tag your it. It's your turn now. It was passed down from generation to generation. And let's just be honest, most of us can't go back even one generation to godly people. I know most of y'all. Come on, let's just be real. You come from dysfunctional families like Brother Anthony's family, like the way my family came from a family. I'm the first generation kid to be brought up in a blessed family. Most of you don't even have godly parents, if not godly grandparents. Can I hear an amen to that? 
This is a godly grandfather. This is a godly father, a godly uh, example to us today. And I just say that. I say that because what are we going to do in a culture where this same week another pastor commits suicide? What are we going to do in this culture when you turn on Netflix and you see the, light, the latest tight pant wearing sissified pastor now having to make a documentary about the adulterous affair he was having? When are we going to say enough's enough? I was talking to my wife and I said, I, said, I need to write another book and, and by God's grace say enough's enough. Ministry is not a place for us to live out our American idol fantasies. Vote for me. I'm your best pastor. Please follow me, like, and share. No, we're here to make followers of Jesus. Amen? We're here to make followers of the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not me, myself, and I. We've had enough failures and flops behind pristine pulpits. We need preachers to get back out and represent the Prince of Peace and bring him to the poverest areas of our world. Can I get a Pentecostal amen? Come on, that's what we're here to do, brothers and sisters. <laughs> I know I'm acting foolish. I had to show my professor I'm still preaching. Uh, let's all stand to our feet and get ready to give the Lord a big God bless you to the man of God of faith and power for the hour. His best friend was an alligator while he grew up in the bayous of Louisiana. The one, the only, Pastor Bishop Apostle Anthony Freeman. I love you, man of God. Thank you all for honoring him. Let's get ready for the word. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Pastor Joe, man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hey, Birdo. All right. All right. It's good seeing some of the faces. Saw my brother yesterday. It's cool because I come here and I get to see what God has done. See some of those faces. Yeah, just pointing you out. And I saw them as young people here. Teenagers, right? Youth group. Youth group. Rudy over there, I saw you before. All you guys. Oh, there's, there she is. There's the wife. All dudes, if you're lucky. You know, you played baseball, right? You bat better than your average. That's what you hope for. You know, you did, bro. You batted better than your average. We all did if we're lucky, amen? <clears throat> if you're lucky, if you're blessed, you get, uh, you, get more, you get more than you deserve. Amen. Pastor Joe, isn't that right? Yeah. You had to be convinced about that for a moment, but <clears throat> you finally got, no, I'm teasing. All right. Amen. We are blessed. We are blessed. God's blessed us. Thankful to be here. And what I'm mentioning about that is just this church, you guys already have a legacy. You already have a legacy. You know, and God creates that. It's not man-made. God creates that. You know, a legacy. You get what's being poured into you. I, I follow you guys online. You know, I try and like all your stuff, but there's so many people now, you got to like them all, heart. I don't understand the emoji thing, so I just kind of stay out of it, lest I put a wrong emoji up there. <clears throat> you know, I just know the smiley one, like that, that's the only one I can do. So like, uh, and, but all those other ones, like they talk with them, I don't know any of that stuff. But you have a legacy. You have a legacy, and I, I saw it at the beginning. I got to see it at the beginning, Pastor Joe. 
We served several years as a presbyter over the church as it was being founded. And really just so thankful to see everything God has done. And you know what? You think about buildings. People think about, we still think about church like the world thinks. We still think about that. One of my greatest inspirations for the ministry was um, Victor Plymeyer in his book, High Adventures in Tibet. Uh, if you pull that book out of my library, it's, uh, it's about a missionary for the Assemblies of God that went to Tibet, and he brought the gospel to places that had never heard the gospel before. And he, and he went there, and he went to die. He brought his wife, his kid. His wife died, his, and his kid died. And he writes in this biography, and it's his son actually finished his work, gathered all his, you know, his biography together and put it together, David Plymeyer. And he writes about no one would sell him a piece of property in town because he was a white man and the Boxer Rebellion was going on, all kinds of stuff, political stuff's going on. Nobody would sell this guy who gave all, gave everything, gave his all to go to a country that he did not know, to a people he didn't know, to bring the love of Jesus Christ. And so uh, maybe he had one person there. He had one person in the church. And a, and a Chinese man, <clears throat> he was in Tibet, sold him a plot of ground on, on the side of a mountain. And it was frozen, the frost line. You, do you guys have that here? The frost line here? Do you get that here? Where the, where the frost goes down into the ground? In Alaska they have it. Like, if you try and dig, it's frozen. The ground has been frozen for so long that the ground is frozen deep down. Well, the, in Tibet, where they were, the ground was frozen, and he had to take a pick. He had to create, he had to build his wife and his kid their own coffin. He built it, buried them in it, had the service, hauled their coffins upside of a mountain with a pick all day it took to dig their uh, grave. And then he, he mentions his prayer. You know, Lord, could somebody have come and help, help me? We're talking about pastors committing suicide. Whoever, you know, coming to a place of such despair that you want to take your own life. Now, anyone that's going to do something for God is going to do it, and it's going to be beyond themselves. You're not going to do something for God in your own strength. Otherwise, you're going to get man's results. The world is still judging with man's priorities, man's value systems. God sees none of that. In heaven, there's going to be a lot of guys with big churches, and they're going to be at the back of the line. They're going to be at the back of the line. Victor Plymeyer went to Tibet with his family, buried his wife, I mean, and his son on the side of a mountain. And he could have quit right then. He could have quit. It took him all day to dig a six-foot hole. And by that time, because of the altitude, he put both coffins in it. And then, but he had a bag full of gospel tracts. And he got on a road that led him to a place where no white man had ever gone to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, where the gospel had never gone. And there's no communication. There was no cell phones. There was no nothing. He went and he did what God asked him to do. He did what God 
asked him to do. He had a call from God and he didn't quit. You think he wanted to quit? You bury your wife and kid on the other side of the world. And nobody's there to mourn you. Nobody's there to say kind words. You know, there's, no, there's nothing. All, it's just you and God. I've read that book seven times. It's fallen apart. Why? Because God doesn't see things the way we do. God's value system is like, here's, here's one of the kings of Israel. Call your sons. We bring them all out. God doesn't choose any of them. Go get the one hanging out in the field. Is there any left? Well, there's a guy we didn't even, we didn't even bother calling him. The world didn't choose him. His own father didn't choose him. And for a moment, the prophet, when he was looking at the, the sons, he said, surely the king of Israel is standing before me. So the prophet didn't even get it for a moment. And God has to speak to him. You look on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so I see that over and over in the Bible, the Gideon, you know, the guy hiding on the threshing floor, you know, like that, hiding from the enemy. And the angel shows up and says, Gideon, great man of valor. And Gideon's looking around. Is he talking about me? I'm the least in my house in the least tribe in all of Israel. God chooses him. All these guys show up, and God says, all of you guys scared? Go Send them home. 40,000 go home, or however many. You got 10,000 left. And the Lord says, I'm going to separate them because there's still too many. So he brings them down to a water hole, makes some drink. They get some water and then send all these guys home, left with 300 against an army of tens of thousands. And the Lord, that's, that's God's value system. That's God's value system, Pastor Joe. And that's what I think about when I think about this church. And I think about what God has done here. Brother, this is the hand of God in Chicago. Right here, brother. You might have Joe Blow down the street. Thank God for him. They're running 10,000. I'll stay with you guys any day of the week. We're going into battle. I'm coming here. We're going into battle. I'm coming here. You forget because those 10,000, when the battle starts, they're going to go home. Because too many places, unfortunately, we're, we're raising up people that are run at the first sign of the devil. And that's why the marriages in the church are breaking up as much as they are on the outside. Same statistic. Same statistic. That's a, that's a true statistic. It's happening inside the church as much as it's happening on the outside. Why? Because we do not believe. We've left our faith. We've abandoned our faith in God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever comes to God must first believe that he is and that he rewards those that diligently seek him. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, the elders acquired a good report. By faith, Moses decided to join the afflictions of the Israel than to suffer the afflictions of Israel. We don't even like that word in the church no more. Nobody preaches on suffering for Jesus anymore. The fact is, you live in this world, you're going to suffer some kind of way. You live in a world run by the devil, folks. You think you're not going to be affected by what's going on? We're all worried about who's going to be the president, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care who's the president, Sleepy Joe or Crazy Trump. I don't care. They're not going to change this world. What's in here changes the world. Jesus changes the world. No politician saved me from where I was, pulled me out of where I was, healed me from what I needed to be healed of, delivered me from what I needed to be delivered. No politician showed me how to raise a family. No politician gave me no money. I didn't get no money from no politician when we're planting churches, building Bible colleges, when I was going to do what God asked me to do. And there was no money. I'll tell the story about the $50 in the shoe. When we started our church, it feels like we started every ministry like that, just needing money. We went to New Orleans, and we weren't missionaries yet. We went there not as missionaries. We, I had $500 out of $1,000. We had never paid for $500 a month. I know this is a long time ago, but $500 a month could have been $5,000 a month back then. We went there, and I had never paid $500 a month for rent. So I had first and last month's rent. That's all I had, you know. And we went there, and uh, I didn't have, so you give first and last month's rent, then I have no more money. No more money. No more money for anything. I mean, like, I my goodness, I had guns. I took, we, we hunt where I grew up. We hunt. I took the guns to the, to the uh, you know, to the pawn shop to try and get some money. You know, and they weren't going to give me no money for the guns. I just put them back in my uh, car, and I headed to the school. We were starting to build the school back then. And, um, you know, someone gave me the money. I walked in, and, and it, was, uh, it was Mother No, Mother No said, the Lord had told me to give you some money, you know, and um, handed me a check for, uh, for our rent. Just for our rent. I mean, paid our rent. And that's how we lived. So then another time, as we were going, and I'm praying, you know, we're praying for the school, the money we need for the school. We're building the Bible college. I'm praying because my family, we don't have any money. We're, we're just become missionaries. And I'm praying, I'm pacing the floor. And I pray this prayer, God, give us money out of the fish's mouth. That's what I prayed. I prayed, give us, why? And I was thinking about old Peter when the Lord says, uh, go fishing for our taxes. And he throws out a line, and uh, sure enough, he catches the fish, and there's the money in the fish's mouth. You know what that says, okay? 
Maybe you're going to go fishing and you can expect some money to come out. I've caught a lot of fish and I've never had money come out of a fish's mouth, okay? But what it says to me is that God can supply the need any kind of way he wants to. So in this time of need, I get sent to go and uh, preach up north, Louisiana. And it's around Father's Day. I had enough money just to get to where I was going. I can't even remember. It's somewhere above Shreveport or Ruston or something like Some little country background town. And I go there, and I'm staying in a Motel 7. I'm staying in a Motel 7, and we just had enough money just to get, just to get there, kind of. And I, I get up, and I preach. And um, that morning, Motel 7 has those uh, cinder block walls. You can hear everything from every, you know, you just, you know, not sleep, you're not sleeping at a Motel 7, you know, you're just getting out of the rain, you know, so like I'm just, you know, you can hear everything, you know, it's one of those, and so I wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning, I got to drive to this church, small church, and I open up my shoe, and out of it, I pull out my shoehorns, you know, you guys know what a shoehorn is? You know, this thing you put in shoe? So, like, uh, I pull out that shoe thing that, that keeps the, the mold of your shoe. And there was a $50 bill, a brand-new $50 bill in that shoe. Now, I didn't know where that came from. We didn't have cell phones back then. There was no cell phone. So I got on the phone, called my wife, woke her up. I made her mad because I woke her up too early. You know, she didn't want to wake up that early. Why are you calling me? So I said, did you put the $50 in my shoe? She says, what? What are you talking about? I'm just waking her up. Did you put the $50 in my shoe? It was Father's Day. I thought maybe she had hid $50 and was trying to surprise me. She says, no, I, we don't have $50. I didn't. What? $50 in your shoe? I said, there's a brand new $50 bill in your shoes. Now, my shoes had duct tape on the bottom of them. So I, I thought, you know, she says, oh, honey, that's from the Lord to buy you a new pair of shoes. And I just, I, I had that feeling, you know. And she says, I put the shoehorns in your shoe, and I checked for socks. She says, there was nothing in your shoe. And I knew that God was taking care of me, you know. So I went that morning, and I preached Garth Collier's church. Remember Brother Garth Collier? I don't know if you know Brother Garth. It was Brother Garth Collier's church, <laughs> It's a funny church. Well, the pastor's a funny guy. He had, I think that morning he had kneeled down at the, the, uh, to pray, and he split his pants. That's kind of, I'm remembering all these things now. You know, his pants were too tight. <laughs> That's why I'm wearing jeans. And so, like, if I bend down, and I don't want to split my pants. So, anyway, uh, <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> I went, and Brother Garth had just taken that church. But I knew God had done a miracle for me, so I gave the $50 to Garth and his wife. So I was blessed just to know God was taking care of me. So then the next day, I had to head on out to Dallas to preach in Dallas. And I went by, and I saw Andy Harris, who pastored a church somewhere else. So I walked in there. He had a root canal. He didn't want to talk to me. So I go over there to Andy Harris's house, 
just to meet with him. And uh, he says, brother, I just, you know, he's holding his jaw. I just had a root canal this morning. And I get up to leave. And as we both get up, he pauses for a moment. And he says, brother, wait just one moment. And he goes back in the hallway. I hear him and his wife talking. And then uh, she goes get her checkbook. She write, they write me a check. And he says, man, I got up and the Lord told me to give you this. So now this is a long time ago. $50 was worth a lot more than now. You can't even go to McDonald's for 50 bucks. <clears throat> he gave me the check. I put it in my hand. I put it in my pocket. I didn't want to look at it, you know, be respectful. And then I head out of the door to, to Dallas. Pulled that thing out when I was in the car, $50. I couldn't even get rid of that thing. <clears throat> the Lord's going to take care of you. The Lord will take care of you. He promised to do that. The Lord will keep your marriages together. You know how the Lord doesn't take care of you or your marriages go south? Because you stop trusting in God. You know, faith. Faith is more than just something in the mind. The thing is that the things you do every single day, those are the things you believe. You know, I told in the first service, you want to lose weight? Guys my age, like especially my friends, you know, they're losing weight. I'm looking at, oh, man, they're losing weight. I got to lose weight. You know, the thing is, is I've been getting good health checks. And these kids are keeping me. We, I hiked the Grand Canyon 13 miles, a mile down, 13 miles. But I dropped 20 pounds before we did it, you know. And I still almost, it almost killed me. I, it was, it was tw 12 hours it took us. We went down to the center of the Grand Canyon. And, and, and some, some things have to be earned. That's one of them. If you want to see what that looks like, and there, there's nothing else in America that looks like that. You you gotta you gotta earn it. We hiked down in steps, six and a half miles down to the center, six and a half miles back up. And one day, we got to the top. It was 19 degrees. It was midnight. I couldn't move. I was just putting my one foot in front of the other. I couldn't move. And I sat down for a few times. And I thought, if I'm gonna have a heart attack, it's gonna happen right now. I'm gonna blow this heart out. I figured, right now. And they're gonna pit. And then Josiah told me that he was waiting to see if my flashlight would be pointing up, <laughs> that they'd come and get me. So, and then he would tell Alexis, is his flashlight still wiggling? Like, because they would pass me, they would rest, and then I would keep going. I would just keep going like this. That's all I could walk, because there were steps. Some clown put steps in the trail of the Grand Canyon, and they didn't even bother to make them even. So sometimes you're stepping up like that, and sometimes you're stepping like, you can imagine uh, 12, 13 miles worth of steps, basically. Oh, my gosh. But I made it. I just keep putting one step in front of the other, you know? So that keeps me going. But people believe certain things, and we was talking about a friend, you know, we saw him. Pastor Joe and I were there together at this conference, and we see him. He lost all this weight. <laughs> And I said, brother, and he's telling me all the things, you know, he did. 
You know, you don't drink your calories and all these things. I, that's the only thing I remember. Don't drink your calories. That's the only thing I remembered. In other words, you, no more pop or whatever. But Pastor Joe, you know, Pastor Joe makes, he calls people into account. He gets real. And he just reminded me, because I shared this story, that, that he actually poked the guy in the belly. <laughs> Y'all don't believe that about your pastor, do you? <laughs> he poked, now brother, now tell us, brother, tell us, tell us brother, was something going on to make you lose that weight? Just something happening, brother. Because he knows fat and happy middle-aged guys ain't giving up their weight just for nothing. Something health-wise was going on. Now, I was kind of thinking it, but Pastor Joe, man, brought it out. You know, like that. And sure enough, the brother kind of, yeah, you know, I was, you know. yeah, he was sick. He was going to die. He was going to die. Yeah, so when you know you're going to die, you lose the weight. Why? Because you believe something. Part of that, too, is desperation. Are you desperate enough? You know, most of us don't turn to God until we hit the bottom. Most of us don't start praying. You get preached about prayer. I know you do in this church. Holy Spirit's in this church. That doesn't happen because you sing great songs or you have great worship team. That doesn't happen. You can make the emotions happen that way. But you can't have the presence of God. You can manipulate that way, but you can't have the presence of God in some, until someone laid down, plowed. We called it plowing. They plowed with prayer. Somebody got in there. Before the seed was sown, there was plowing in prayer. So somebody was praying. Where did our marriage go wrong? Where did our relationships go wrong? Why are we in trouble? Why am I hanging on to that same sin I've been messing with for so long? Why does it keep whipping my tail? Why do I keep messing up and having to confess to my small group leader? Oh, I don't know. I just keep, you know, I just keep looking at that porn. Man, if you are desperate enough, if you could see hell, if you had a view of hell, then maybe you'd rip all the wires out of your house and say, man, you know what? I don't want to even be tempted by this. Maybe you throw your phone or whatever it is that's causing you to fail in the trash. You say, I don't even want it. Jesus talked about that kind of desperation when he says, hey, if your right eye offend you, pluck that thing out. You think Jesus, who created our eye, wants us to go around plucking? Can you imagine a ministry, eye-plucking ministry? It's a new doctrine. They actually have a place where you can come and saw your hand off. We're going to saw this brother's hand off right now in front of church, you know. <laughs> How many people would be in that church, you know? <clears throat> See, Jesus says, your right hand offend you, cut it off. It's better to go into heaven maimed than to lose your soul in hell. Come on, church. Come on, church. See, that's a faith thing too, but it also goes down to the desperation of it. 
How desperate are you? How much? Why do we fast? We fast because we get desperate before God. We're tired of doing the same old things, having the same old results. You do the same things over, you get the same results. We all know that. We all know that in this room. Everybody believes that in this room. But what's the difference? It's when you believe it enough to where it causes you to do something. You know, Billy Graham described faith, biblical faith, like a bridge. You can say, well, I acknowledge that bridge. That's a great bridge. That bridge, it'll take me across the other side. That bridge will hold me up and take me across the other side to where I need to go. It'll take me to my destination. That bridge is great. I know it's there. <laughs> I think about all the people we talk to. Oh, yeah, God, he woke me up this morning. Everybody we talk to, you know, that, you know, talks about God when you're out there preaching Jesus. But they're, you know, like their lives, they got a needle hanging out their arm. Oh, God, I wouldn't have woke up this morning if it wasn't for God. Billy Graham said that uh, biblical faith is when you get out on that bridge and you walk across to where your whole life, your whole life, your whole existence is being held up by that bridge. Everything you are, everything, you never think about that. Every bridge you go across, if that bridge has a bad day, you're going into the drink. You know, you trust in people's bridges. You don't even think about it. You don't even think about crossing some man-made structure that it might have a bad day. Maybe if you ever bought something that broke, have you bought a lemon of anything? Bad piece of clothing, bad piece of uh, equipment, a bad uh, thing for the kitchen, whatever it is. And it breaks, man, this thing's junk. Somebody must have been, you know, whatever on that day of work. We drive across those things. We do all these things. And, like, we trust them. We believe them. What about God? What about his word that shall not return void? What about the fact that God says about his ways, about his words, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And as the rain and the snow come down and do not return again until it waters the earth and brings forth seed for the sower, so shall my word that goes forth from my, my mouth, God says, it shall not Return empty. But it will accomplish the task that it was sent forth to do. And then afterwards he says, and you'll go out with joy. You'll be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will burst forth with laughter. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. What's he talking about? He's talking about a change in your attitude, your perspective. Instead of acting like your marriage is a ball and chain... Somewhere along the line, you were in love for whatever reasons, but once Jesus comes in, all those vows you made, they were before God. And so your marriage 
It's time to get Jesus in the middle of it. You claim God and Jesus all over your marriage in the beginning. But is he in it now? Your family, you're walking with God. You're anything. Is Jesus at the center of your life? And whether he's going to be or not is all about your faith. Do you believe? Do you believe? I just brought back memories of that podcast. It was a podcast. Do you believe? What do you believe way back when? I think you even made a rap song, Do You Believe. Remember? Something similar to that, yeah. Do you believe? Do you believe what God has spoken to you? Do you believe the word of God? God's word's not going to fail. I gave my life to Jesus in 1981. God's word has never failed me. You know, someone took me, discipled me, took me out witnessing. As soon as I got saved, I started going witnessing and preaching on the streets. I've been preaching and witnessing on the streets since 1981. Why? Because I was discipled in it. And it works. It works. I don't go out there to save people. I go out there to bring the light of Jesus Christ and be the salt of the earth and be the voice of the Lord God Almighty saying, Come to Jesus, the author and reconciler of your faith. And Jesus is the one that does the saving through the Holy Spirit. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. It's why we do what we're doing now. I was telling the church earlier, now God, we planted churches and, and, and we planted All Nations Fellowship. Now my oldest son is pastoring the church that we started. And uh, my other sons, they are helping him, except this one. This guy travels with me. Years ago, God called me to... I was praying, and God showed me that I was going to go around, and uh, I was going to help missionaries and ministers around the country. Now we've traveled over the last three years. We've traveled over 100,000 miles. Last year, I traveled 46,800 miles, you know, in 10 months. One trip to Alaska from New Orleans to Alaska driving to bring a trailer I I had raised money for for a a missionary, 10,000 miles just on that trip. Say, why are you doing that? You're almost 60, man. That's crazy. I do that because it's what God asked me to do. And I've seen the hand of God. I've seen the power of God. I've seen people get saved. We were in Nome, Alaska, man. We saw five people get healed in Nome, Alaska last year. We saw saw God do things. We've seen provision. You know, we've seen God take care of things time and time and time again. Because it's the call of God. Because God said, go. We went. And we go to all these places and and we we partner with ministers and pastors and people that are out there laying their life down for Jesus. And we hear the same story everywhere. Everywhere. Man, I obeyed Jesus. I believe Jesus. I obeyed him. Those things go together. And God's done all these things. God's doing all these things, healings, miracles, deliverance, saving people, discipling people. I want to show you a video that kind of shows what we're doing. Alaska is a land of many people abundant with resources and wildlife. We have months of daylight 
and months of darkness. But the greatest darkness is our need for Jesus. As I look into the village and I see the need, an emptiness needs to be filled. And there's people out here who are lonely and lost and looking for a source of happiness. But they never find that happiness because they look into drugs and alcohol and depressing times. Now, I remember growing up in the village and seeing just the different trauma that even people my own age would go through. And I remember thinking, even at that age, like, this is not right. This should not be happening. This hurts because many of my people were drowning in sin and darkness and need light. Alaska needs laborers. We need people that are willing to go to the villages, go to these dark places to shine the light of Jesus and be able to walk alongside people and bring them from pain to purpose, to disciple them, to help them realize that God has a call and a destiny on their life. The way I got saved and my family got saved was a missionary came to the village. Our village has seen the light, but there's so many villages that need the light of Jesus. They're sitting in darkness and they're bound in addiction. And you know, you've got families and youth that are broken up and they're not with their family. But when they start to see the light come in and they start to see the love of Jesus shown, what hope that brings inside of people's hearts. Ever come. Are you ready to come? Are you ready to go to be planted in the villages of Alaska? Are you ready to say yes? God's calling you. 40 years ago, I heard that there are over 100 villages in Alaska with no gospel witness. It was then that I responded to the call of God, and so we came. We came in search of spiritual gold. Alaska is a great state, but the reality is, is Alaska has people who do not know Jesus. And all these years later, we are still saying that there are 100 villages in Alaska that have no gospel witness. Come to Alaska. Are you ready to come and pour into some people in Alaska and be a part of what God's gonna do? Come into the land and share the gospel. And that's you. When um, we we film all that, and uh, that's what we give to missionaries. We've, we've given, uh, we've created. It's one of the things the Lord told me to do when I go to missionaries. I want to leave them with something. And so we film and we create a, vi a video for them. And uh, we've given, we had it uh, evaluated. We've given over a million dollars worth of videos to missionaries in the last three years. And we don't charge missionaries anything. We don't, it costs us about $150,000 a year to travel just the travel costs, and to feed these interns here. <clears throat> and so, uh, but, uh, you know, we just believe God to provide all that, and that's what he does. God provides all of it. When we show up at a place, we don't want nothing from him. We're there to serve. But this video in particular means really something to me and goes along with what God has me doing now. The man that you saw at the end is uh, Bill Welch. He's the superintendent for the Assemblies of God for all of Alaska. And uh, when I met, uh, three years ago, we went to Alaska for the first time in October. And we sat down with him. <clears throat> and we were there to connect with one of our missionaries. We were in Anchorage. And uh, we were eating at uh, 
the Bear Paw or whatever that place is. And um, come to find out, Pastor Bill and I were in Bible school at CBC in 1983. And I was sitting across from him, and I showed a video and a couple of things. This is what I want to bring to your missionaries. And he said, he began to tell me this story. We have a hundred villages in Alaska that have not been reached for the last 40 years. These are villages, these are opportunities where no church exists. No church of any kind. Just people living there and uh, just in darkness. As he was sharing that, the Holy Spirit came upon me and I saw in a vision before me, while this man's talking to me, while that man you saw was talking to me, the white guy there, God showed me a vision of an Eskimo man standing on a frozen body of water. The snow was blowing sideways, and, and his, he wasn't speaking. He, I was looking at him, and I could see him, but I, and I could hear his thoughts, and he was talking about that, about the light and the darkness. And um, I couldn't get, I had a lump in my throat, man. The power of God was on me so strong. I couldn't even speak. I, and Bill said, would you come and make a video for us? And I could just get out. We'll, we'll do it. And he says, well, I don't know how much it's going to cost. We really don't have the money. And I just said, God wants me to do this. And so then we said, uh, we'll meet together in February. My wife and I flew up there in February. And I began to tell them the story of what God had shown me. And they said, well, you've got to go out to uh, Kotlik, Alaska, where the Eskimos are. And you've got to see Brother Jimmy O'Kitkin. He's an Eskimo that was featured on the National Geographic. He still, you know, uh, spears. He hunts seals and beluga whale with a spear. And that's what they eat. Eskimo means meat eater. And so, because that's what they eat. There's, there's not much vegetation in a frozen tundra like that. And it's on the edge of the Bering Sea, like where the ocean has four feet thick of ice. And you can just drive out on, and it's blistering cold. And then their village is up on the Yukon River. And uh, so when I met Jimmy and we went and began filming that, I realized as I began to film him that this was the man God showed me in that vision. And so we made the video just like the beginning is very similar to what I saw in that vision. But we did it because it's what God had called us to do. And listen, God is no respecter of persons. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see visions and dream dreams. Why should we think that it's crazy that God would do that when God is making a push in this final hour? God wants to give all of you visions and dreams. What's the holdup? He wants all of you being prophetic. That's why the Holy Spirit was poured out. It wasn't just poured out on the apostles. It was poured out on all the church. The Holy Spirit was given to raise up people that would run with the fire of God and be a prophetic voice in this world. This world is tired of the powerless church. And aren't you tired of being powerless as a Christian? When the life God has called us to is one 
of power. And you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. I know in this church that they send you out into the streets, that you're going on the streets. Man, no one's going out in the streets like this church. I'll follow you guys. But you're going to go out in your own strength. We're about to go out in Mardi Gras. I'm going to preach a message on a Friday night like I've been preaching for years and years and years on a Friday night as we go out in Mardi Gras. But I preach the same message on the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Spirit of God has come upon you. And I remember this young man, Josiah was telling the story of this young man named Trevor who was scared spitless. He's one of those guys, you know, that he'd go out and he would be scared. He would be scared, you know. And I remember one Friday, he was in the, as we were there preaching on the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he, and uh, he, he believed. He just believed what God's word said. And we prayed for him. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, God lit that dude up like a firecracker, man. He went on the streets. He was so bold. Hey, just like the Bible says. Just like the Bible says. Just like the Bible says. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power, power for witness, power for ministry, power to be a better husband. What do you do when you enter in a situation and we're all there every single day? What do you do? Man, I thank God for a prayer language. I thank God for a prayer language. I start speaking in tongues. I remember, man, my sister's. My sister was married. My sister, before she got, she got married three times. But her first husband, she was living in Baton Rouge. He hit a tree. His brain, you know, he was brain dead. He was dead. He, he was dying, you know, or, or about to die. He was going to die in the hour. His brain had swollen up so much. Aaron was his name. And I was at SUM. My sister called me, you know, Aaron hit a tree. He's not going to make it. You know? And you're the minister. You're the minister. What do you do? So I drive from New Orleans to Baton Rouge. It's about an hour. I'm praying in tongues the whole way. I'm praying in the spirit the whole way. I'm praying. I need direction. I need help. My, wife, my uh, sister had a dead man for a husband. I walked in that room. I've remember I prayed until I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me I prayed until all the other voices and the doubts stopped and I heard the voice of the Lord say go in there and speak life to him speak life over his body I walked into that room the Baton Rouge General Hospital all those people were there And I only knew one person that had faith and prayer that I was going to bring in was my mother. Because I've seen my mother lay hands on sick people. She didn't have no Bible to college degree. She didn't go to seminary. But as a kid, I remember when they brought, when Dolores Bourgeois brought little Noel with bowed legs 
into our house. She had braces on. And my mom was witnessing to Dolores. And she said, Dolores, God is so powerful. He can heal your daughter. And he took those, she took those braces off and laid hands on little Noel. And God straightened up those bowed legs. That mother screamed, screamed like she had seen the exorcist. But Dolores got saved that day. Dolores got saved. I walked in that room. I don't know if you were at school at that time or not. It was, it was in the early 90s. And I brought my mother in there and I laid hands on Aaron and I declared life over that body. He was out of that hospital in a week. I remember sitting in a... You know when you're a child of God? You know, we really think we're something. But I remember on a vacation, I went up to Canada. And I go up in, into Canada, and I'm at my brother-in-law's house. And my brother does film. He's the one that taught me everything I know about all this filmmaking stuff. One of his friends who worked for Steven Spielberg, his daughter, her name was Victoria. She, she was dying of leukemia, and she was in the cancer hospital for children in Toronto. Jerome asked me when I got there, he says, uh, he called him Hoss. His name was Jose, Jose Luis. He said, Jose's daughter is in the hospital dying, and he was wondering if you'd come and talk to her. So I was, so I get there. It's cold in Canada like it is up here. I'm up there for vacation. And you know when you're in vacation, you kind of don't want to pray for nobody. You know, but I'm laying in the bed. It's cold. I want to get out of the bed, you know. I wasn't even praying. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, go into that hospital and lay hands on that girl. And then lay hands on her dad. And said, this is what you're looking for. So we went over to this hospital. And uh, we go and they've got one of those rooms at the end of the, uh, you know, at the end of the hall, the nursing station, where the doctors go and consult. So Jerome calls Jose and he comes out. He meets us before we went into the room to pray over his daughter. And he meets us in that side room. And he says, uh, you know, I was wanting, I thank you for coming. I was wanting to talk about fasting. You know, he wanted, he was so desperate. He was desperate, Brother Joe. He was willing to do anything. And he said, uh, he was going to talk about fasting. And I said, just hold on, Jose. I said, I want to tell you something that the Lord told me. The Lord told me to come here and to, and to lay hands on you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And he, and he, he kind of knew about it. He was a Catholic. And he said, the tongues thing? I said, yeah, the tongues thing. And I took him through the book of Acts, and I shared with him about the power of the Holy Spirit. And then right then, I said, I'm going to pray for you to receive it. You're going to receive it right now. So I prayed for him. My brother-in-law, who was Christian, but kind of, you know, he didn't want to get too serious about God. 
he's on the other end. So he puts hands on Jose. Jose's his buddy, you know, so he's praying for him, you know. I began praying for him, man. The power of God came down in that room, bro. Jose starts shouting, my ears are on fire. My ears are on fire. And then he began speaking in tongues. Boom, like that. My brother-in-law hops away, goes, whoa, like that from him. What was that? We get up from there, and Jose goes, marches. In. This is like a Catholic dude. This dude didn't know nothing about Pentecost. He gets up, walks down, walks to the foot of his daughter's bed before I could even preach or pray or whatever, and points his hand and says, you're healed, like that. We pray for her. I don't even think it was my prayer that healed her. It was her dad's. That girl left three days later, cancer-free. The Word of God says He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Listen to me, church. He has given us everything. 2 Peter 1. He has given us everything. Say it, everything. He has given us everything. Say it again, everything. God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Through the power of Him who called us. And by His own glory. And by His own grace with these great and precious promises the Word of God. You guys read that book. You listen to that book. You get here on a Sunday. You hear a man of God bring a word from heaven. I watch him. I watch him. That's good preaching. I'm proud of him every Sunday. And I laugh because he says stuff I'd never say before. And he can do the word rhyme, you know. He did it a while ago. Tore up from the floor. Up. Oh, that's, that's an easy one. That's the only one I know. I could never try and do that. I can't rhyme like that. Brother's good, man. He's a bad boy preacher. He can do it. But what you're really hearing is the Word of God. What you're hearing is the Word of God, church. What you are hearing is the Word of God. The Word of God, the Bible declares, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's powerful. It's mighty. The Bible says that about the Word of God. And when you get a preacher preaching the Word of God, Well, God can do anything, folks. The Word says that. The Bible says in the Word is anything too hard for God. The Word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Word of God says, when you believe God's Word, you go out with joy, be led forth with peace, the mountains and the hills. 
will burst forth with laughter. It's going to change your life. It'll change your perspective. It'll change the whole trajectory of your life. You're there grinding through the week, trying to work this life out, and you got something called the devil against you. And his minions or anyone else who's not serving Jesus is in that kingdom and can be used at by him at any moment. And they come and say things. They think they're being kind and woke and gentle or all those crazy words. But all they're doing is spewing out death. And the author of life says, out of your most innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The author of life says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy, but I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. People doubting Jesus all the time. We're not the only ones that doubt him. He was there on the earth. They bring him into a building, and two guys let their crippled friend down. They can't get into this house. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in this house, folks. It's not me. It's not Pastor Joe. He said, if two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst. Jesus is in here by his Holy Spirit. And these two guys, they see Jesus. They know he's a healer. They, 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 go, to the, they go to the roof. And if somebody opened the roof right now and let a crippled friend down. And he says, my son, your sins be forgiven. Why did he say that? Because that dude had faith. And that's what it takes for all our mess. Faith in God. Faith in God to deliver the Savior, the healer, the provider the lifter of my head. And the Pharisees, those old religious doubters, (laughs) who does this man think he is? Who does this preacher from New Orleans think he is? He's fat. Goodness gracious. He wears that shirt down, just covers gut. I do, baby, I do. And it's all crawfish right here. Jesus knows their thoughts and he says, Was it, what is it easier to say? Your sins be forgiven or rise, take your bed and walk. But so that you know the Son of Man has power both to heal and to forgive, take your bed up. He was saying one thing to the, this, the Pharisees, you know, he was saying, I have power to forgive. And uh, I'll prove it by healing this person. Salvation in the Bible takes into account always in the language, the original language. It takes healing into account. Body, soul, spirit, everything. But in our day, we, and maybe you're in this church because you believe Jesus can forgive you. He can. He absolutely can. But guess what? It's also true that he can heal. He can heal. 
He is a healing God. He has the power to deliver. He has the power to set free. He has the power to heal your heart. He has the power to change your mind. He has the power to change the whole trajectory of your life. And that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do right now. Lord, help us. Everything we're missing from God is because either God is working something out in our life for a moment and wants us to wait on Him or because we do not believe. If you ask, it shall be given. If you seek, you shall find. If you knock, the door shall be open. And what he means, keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Which one of you? Which one of you fathers? If your son asks you for a piece of bread, we'll give him a serpent. Or if he asks for a fish, you know, you're going to give him something else. If you, being evil, know how to do good to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you what you have need of? And he said in another place with that same illustration, he says, if you ask, the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me? How many would say this morning, I may be here in church this morning. I just feel this right now. But in my heart, I'm running. I'm running from the Lord. I'm here in this church this morning. But in my heart and my mind, I'm looking for the exit door. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want you to lift your hand. Lift your hand if you say, that's me. I'm running. I'm running. Now, I want you to come down to the altar right now. If you lifted your hand, come down right now. Run. Come on. Come down to this altar right now. Come on. Come on. Hey, look. If you can't hand, you lift your hand in secret. But if you're desperate enough, you're coming down. You'll move the top of this floor and make your way down from the ceiling. Come. Come on. You tired of playing games? But God loves you. And you are in a place where people love you. Jesus. Come on, uh, MPI leadership. Come on behind these. <clears throat> Come on. Jesus. 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 
Jesus. Jesus. Jesus. Would you come down? The devil's been messing with my mind. You're saying in your mind, the devil's been messing with my mind. And I just can't take it no more. I want you to come down here right now. Come down right now. That's in your head. All week long in your head. The devil's been messing with my mind. Come down right now. Come on. Come on. Come in front of these. Come in front of these. Come on. Jesus. Jesus. Pastor Joe. Pastor Alexis. Come help. Jesus. Come on, saints of God, you fill with the Holy Spirit. Begin praying to the Spirit. Holy Spirit. Espíritu Santo. Fuego. Fuego. En el nombre de Jesús. Bien. Bien. Holy Spirit. You need to be touched by God. If you need a healing, whatever you need, come on down to the front of this altar right now. Come, come, come. All you who are thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come. If you're thirsty, come. And drink from the waters of life. 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 From the waters of life. Don't be thirsty no more. Jesus, Jesus, my Senor, my Senor, more Lord, more Lord, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We're going to formally dismiss, but those who are praying, please stay. But those who need to go will dismiss as we close in worship. Father, we thank you for this service. We thank you for what you're doing and going to do even now. Bless your people who need to go, but never from your presence. As we now linger here, those with those who are in need, would you meet us here? In Jesus' name. And I'll